Good morning. Some of you who receive my weekly uh, midweek update for uh, families with children might remember that back in September I wrote a little blurb about what was making me happy that week. And that week it was the program, the animated series Steven Universe which some of you might be familiar with. Perhaps if you don't have a nine-year-old, you are not. But uh, I wrote a little, a little blurb about what was making me happy about that program, which is about a boy named Steven Universe who is, whose family is uh, these three alien super beings that are named after gems, Pearl, Amethyst, and Garnet. Uh, one of the reasons that I love this program is that it is very unmessagey, but... Very, I mean, in a very positive, unmessagey way, wonderful, wonderful messages about queerness and gender and unusual families and love and diversity. And I could preach a whole sermon just on that. But the one episode in particular that I am thinking about or have been thinking about this week was one in which the character Garnet, who is easily the coolest person in this program, who is strong and wise and really tough, but caring, kind of a tall, strong, silent, but very wise type. You know, perpetual sunglasses and this very cool Afro kind of hairstyle. Uh, she gives Stephen a gift of seeing into the future. She kisses him on the forehead, and her gift of being able to see the future is transferred into Stephen. And while he has this gift, he sees a bunch of different scenarios into the future a bunch of different things that could take place, and he uses his visions of the future to help his father and his friend and himself go safely home when there's a big sto- snowstorm that's about to happen. The reason that I've been thinking about this story is that it is an epiphany story. There is a journey, a vision, a realization, a gift, and home by a new route than they might have taken otherwise. Epiphany is about seeing something new, about realization, and in that new light, transformation. It's about hope into the future. In the biblical tale of Epiphany that we heard this morning, that we hear often through the cycle of Christmases, visitors, magi, whom we have traditionally thought of and sung about as kings with camels because of uh, Hebrew Bible prophecy, they come from the east seeking a new king. They literally see a star, that, a new star that rises. And they understand the astrological significance of that to be a ruler's birth. And they literally, at least according to Matthew, experience a vision in a dream which sends them home on a new path at the story's end. But this whole story illuminates the whole future story. Because it's not the end of the story. Like, verse 12 is not the end of the story. It's the end of the Magi's story in our tale. This whole story illuminates the future, the future as Matthew tells it and the future as it continues, even now. 
Uh, in Lewis Carroll's book, Through the Looking Glass, Alice has a very confounding conversation about the future with the White Queen, who is at the, at the moment of which I'm going to quote, is trying to entice Alice into employment. The Queen says, two pence a week and jam every other day. Alice couldn't help laughing as she said, I don't want you to hire me and I don't care for jam. It's very good jam, said the Queen. Well, I don't want any today at any rate. You couldn't have it if you did want it, said the Queen. The rule is jam tomorrow and jam yesterday, but never jam today. But it must come to jam today. It must sometimes come to jam today, Alice objected. No, it can't, said the Queen. It's jam every other day, and today isn't any other day, you know. I don't understand you, said Alice. It's dreadfully confusing. That's the effect of living backwards, said the Queen kindly. It always makes one a little giddy at first. Living backwards, Alice repeated in great astonishment. I never heard of such a thing. But there's one great advantage in it, that one's memory works both ways. But I'm sure mine only works one way, Alice remarked. I can't remember things before they happen. It's a poor sort of memory that only works backwards, the queen remarked. This story, the story of visitors to Jesus, remembers forward. It remembers the future of that little one in his mother's arms. It remembers what kind of king he will be. All the way along, the characters in this story, and we as readers, are experiencing future vision. Remembering what will happen in a few months, in years to come. Jonathan often says that where you sit determines what you see. Herod is surely having some visions of what a future will look like if a new king is being born. He is, our story says, greatly disturbed. He is terrified. So he gathers his council together. He wants all the information. He hears from them the way the prophets remembered the future. And you, Bethlehem in Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, since from you will come a ruler to shepherd my people Israel. These same gatherings of chief priests and leaders, which are written into the story by Matthew, call to mind the memory of what will be, of Jesus being called before the same kind of a council, and the priests that gather around him when he is arrested and crucified. Herod's fear and duplicity lead to the death of hundreds of innocent infants because he does not want his power to be threatened. But if Herod is full of fear and deceit, the wise visitors who gather see only light. With them, through their encounter with Jesus and Jesus' family, we too can understand the difference between a king and a kingdom hungry for power, 
a power that can only be understood by making others fear too, by spreading the anxiety so that all the city is also fearful. And on the other hand, the kind of power and authority that is born in a manger to a working class family, a new understanding of kingship, one of love, humility, life out of death. The wise visitors present their gifts because the star has reappeared again and guided them not to a palace or a mansion, but to a humble house, a simple family. And in the light of that star, they are, the story tells us, overjoyed. They offer gifts fit for a king. And if the council of priests recalls a future, the future arrest and crucifixion of Jesus, the homage, the prostrate visitors, remembers a future in, with, in which Jesus has risen from death has revealed the falsehood in the power of death, and his disciples fall prostrate at his feet when they realize that their beloved Jesus is alive. This whole story adds up to a memory of a future full of hope and passion and triumph over fear. We live in a fearful time, we have leaders that revel in and grow from spreading that fear so that it seems like the whole country, the whole world is fearful along with them. I think many of us feel like it's difficult to celebrate light and hope and goodness. I and probably you have heard it everywhere. 2016 was the most awful year ever. Awful in politics, awful in culture. Events in this country and in the world make it easy to fall into despair and hopelessness. And not only that, many of us carry personal sorrow and grief and longing, need for healing. No turning over a calendar page can make those things go away. And yet here we are, the first week of 2017. Throughout Advent, we heard and sang the revolutionary songs of Scripture. We heard the future vision of Mary, of Hannah, of Zechariah, of the Psalms and the prophets. And like these prophets, these songs remember a time when God will do mighty things, in which rulers like Herod, who are vain and hungry for power and frightened into acts of violence, in which they are toppled. And each Sunday we lit one more candle around our Advent wreath, expanding the light refusing to let the darkness have its way. We need those songs and stories of light to continue to see, 
to continue to remember God's ongoing story. And not just the biblical story. We need to tell our stories to remember our future. What is our future vision? What did God bring to pass in the days to come? As I head out on sabbatical, there are many things that I am sorry that I will be missing in the months to come. Months that I will be apart from you. In our peace lecture, you will remember the future of Mennonite relationships with indigenous peoples. You will retell Jesus' jubilee memory of the future and envision ways in which we will till and tend and care for our watershed and the earth on which we live. In our youth Sunday school classes, many of you will be sharing stories and having conversations about the future vision you have for the church and for the youth of this church. I am very sorry to miss those conversations. The children will continue to see a future built with tools of peace. Our encounter with Jesus, the infant Jesus, and the risen Jesus empowers us to remember a future like his. Gives us hope to continue telling our visions of the future. This week, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove posted to Facebook a quote by Howard Thurman, and if you follow him, maybe you saw it too. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes have gone home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas, and I would add of Epiphany, begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among others, to make music in the heart. This is a memory of the future that we can both see and do. And I know Mennonites like to do. May our future of hope and action be illuminated. Amen.